know the rest of this verse where the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty, right? Freedom. And the truth shall set you free. Well, what I want to share with you this morning is how to maintain your freedom in the Lord. There is a freedom that God gives us. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we think of, well, that's, you know, like a wave the uh, American flag and uh, God bless America. Well, God bless America, but that's not the freedom he's talking about. There is a freedom in the spirit and a freedom in Christ that's been given us. And we first need to understand what that freedom is. What does that mean? Because Paul says, hey, you might even be enslaved, but you're the Lord's free man. Whatever your condition is that you may find yourself in may not be the best of conditions, but you're free. So what is this freedom that he speaks of? And secondly, how do we maintain it? So what I'd like you to do is turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. I'm going to read that to you this morning. The Lord says through the writer of Hebrews, keep your, le- keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So this is the liberty I want to share with you this morning. This is what I want to speak on. To maintaining your liberty. And basically, we're going to exegete this passage. It's that simple. What does exegesis mean? It means to draw out of the text its fullest meaning. Not to add our meaning into it, but to draw out of what the writer said all of the spiritual depth and implications that he's speaking of. And we're going to do that this morning. And in this verse, we're going to find that God wants us to maintain our liberty or our freedom in him. And so we begin with the very first phrase. And he says this, be free. Keep your life free. That would indicate to me that you could move back into bondage at any time. Right Now, how many of you have had those kind of situations where uh, you feel free and good in God, and then a month later you're recognizing, I am in shackles. What happened to me? I lost my joy. I lost my liberty in Christ. I feel bound by the, my situation and my troubles, and I'm, I'm in discouragement. And so he says, number one, you've got to work at keeping your place in the freedom of God. It's not that he, he's losing grip on you or you're losing grip on him. We just get barraged with the things of this world. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. Now, I, I'm not there yet, but that verse reminds us of that. So it's not, it's not that he's, he's left you, though we think many times, it's like, God, where have you gone? How many of you have prayed, and, they, and it's, as they say, it's like the ceiling is as brass. You can't get your prayers up. It, it, nothing's going anywhere. Well, don't worry. You don't have to get your prayers up, okay? They're right here. He dwells in us. He's interceding inwardly in us. But there are times, so what he says is, sometimes life can grip you and you need to be free of it. Don't let life choke off the joy of the Lord. How many of you remember the parable where Jesus said he sowed the seed? And as he sowed the seed, he said it fell 
on good soil, which was rich and took in, but it sometimes fell on the path, which was hard. It sometimes fell where the weeds choked it off and the thistles, the things of this life. It scorched by the heat of the sun and failed. Now that's not a parable about salvation. That's a parable about the word of the Lord. You need to reread that verse because we so often use it as people getting saved. But that's not what Jesus said when he told that parable. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you a parable about people getting saved. He said, I'm going to teach you a parable about the word of the Lord. So that parable applies to Christians. There's Christians that we can share the word of the Lord on, but they've been so uh, packed down in an area of their life, they won't receive that word. It's been trampled on too much, so they won't receive it. Or a Christian can hear a word and go, yeah, I love that. That sounds good, and go right back to their problem, and it chokes that word right off that God planted in them. See, so this applies to believers as well as non-believers. But the good soil is a heart that's ready to receive a word. So this morning, are you ready to receive a word? So that good soil is what he is referring to by saying, stay free. Let the word of the Lord bring liberty to you. Keep your life free so that the scorching heat of what your trial is right now will not rob you of it. You won't let the devil rob you of it. And your busyness and toil and fixing it won't rob you of it. Be free from all these things that are attacking and strangling the Word of God in your life. Be free from them. You mean we can? Yes. But what he's mainly pointing on is this. Be free from the love of money. Now, why would he pinpoint money? Jesus spoke more about money than anyone else. Why? Why would he speak about money? Because basically, that's how we have to live. Right? I I mean, that's how we exist. We have an economic system by which we labor, we get money so we can have food and a house and clothes. Right? So, it's the world system. And so the world system can get the best of us. And money supplies our needs. And so what he's saying is, be free of the worldly pursuit that supplies your needs. Because who should be supplying our needs? Him. Now, that's great as a Bible verse. He shall supply all your needs according to His Riches in glory. How many of you have that memorized? You know that. King James, as a matter of fact. He shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. That's great as a phrase that floats around now and then. But I need some money. I don't know about you, but I need cash. Have you ever tried to use that line, paying your mortgage? Just write that down on a piece of paper and send it in with your mortgage payment. He shall supply all my needs. According to his riches and glory. And they'll say, that's fine for you, but you shall supply our needs. We need the cash. But it's the principle here where God can bring cash to you. God can bring money to you. But what he needs you to do is consider him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else will be added and part of that adding to that is he'll supply your needs right i mean these are legitimate needs you need clothing god will provide clothing you remember the sermon on the mount jesus is trying to 
again continue to speak that to the people. He says, why do you toil and fret about what you're going to wear? Look at the beauty of the flowers. Well, the flowers are nice and they get rained on, but my clothes stinketh. I need them washed. I need new ones. I need... Right? How do you get the practical into the realm of Scripture? Because doesn't sometimes Scripture seem pretty lofty and ideal over here? But where the rubber meets the road, I need some real stuff. I have a real need. God knows that. God knows how to deal with the rubber of the road. He's been here. He's done that. The Son of Man has no bed to lay his head on. No pillow. He has no home like a fox has a home. He was... Uh, Roman around, you know, I mean, and yet everything was provided for because he trusted in the Lord. And, and that's what we have to do. So what he's saying is if you, in, in order for you to stay free from being caught in your needs, you need to rely on him. You need to go to him first. You need to trust him. And sometimes those things you're going through are more than just a need. They're a teaching time. And you can get through them quicker if you'd go to the teacher and stay after class and ask some questions. Because sometimes we want the answer, and the answer won't come till you get the lesson. Right? We want the provision. But he says, he will provide all of your needs. So the, I can't imagine all the needs represented here this morning. Come on, when you think about the needs here, we can start right from clothes very basic needs. Some of you need clothes. Some of you need f food. Some of you need a home. Some of you need a, a house. Some of you need uh, some medical attention. Some of you need love. Some of you need peace. Some of you need hope. See, all these needs represented here today, we could take an offering and not meet all the needs. It's not money that everybody needs here. Right? And most of our money problems... If we had a greater sense of hope and faith and trust in the Lord, we could handle the money problem. He'll supply all your needs. The problem is most of us don't know what we need. That's why we need to go to Him. And so He's saying, look, at in order to keep free from the love or the pursuit of money, how many people are playing the lottery continually? Don't raise your hand. That's a rhetorical question to the world, not you. I used to work with the 700 Club in the Detroit area. I was one of the follow-up callers of people who, who, who called on the 700 Club, and they would send me a list of people to go visit. And I would go visit these people, and, and half the time, the people who called the 700 Club were people who really had no finance, no money, really down and out. And the majority of them, when I met with them, gave money to the 700 Club and to lottery tickets. And they're trying to cash in either on Jesus or the lotto one or the other, right? And of course, gambling came to Detroit, and that has solved our economic problems. Hallelujah. <laughs> we are in good shape now. And what has happened is people, and, and the church, it's, it's, a, it's rampant in the church, but what's happened is we're not free. We're not free. We're bound by all the same things that the world's bound by. How can this be when the Spirit has set us free and the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken truth which has set us free? But what we've done is we've gone back into the bondage of covetousness. We need, we need, we need, we need. 
When he says, look at in order to stay free, don't get bound by your pursuit of material needs. He then goes on and says, you need to be content. Hmm. Content. There's something Americans aren't really familiar with. Bigger, better, bigger, better. Keeping up with the Joneses, right? I mean, we're always... I like that new commercial for, for the cell phones and the iPads and all this. I just bought this. It's obsolete two weeks after you bought it. And there's another commercial, I think Hyundai. They're now giving you a, 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 a readout of how much your car's worth the minute you drive it off the lot. That's depressing. Who wants to know that? My new car... They should just have this big sucking sound, this ching or something when you leave the lot and a big billboard that says you just lost $10,000. But you have a nice shiny new car. You see, if we're pursuing bigger and better, everything in commercialism and, and in the world is made to take from you. It's called industry and business right? Supply and demand. We want to make sure that that new thing you bought doesn't work a year from now so that you have to get bigger and better, right? I mean, how many times do you have to improve dishwashing liquid? (laughs) Have you ever thought of that? The new and improved Crest. We have 37 flavors of Crest and every year it's better than the last year. Why? Because they put less in the tube Paint it a new color and say it's improved, and we go, ooh, we got to get that. Isn't it funny? You see, we're not free. Jesus said, my people should be free. You should be able to look through all that foolishness. But it appeals to the lust of the eyes, pride of life, right, and lust of the flesh. They know what they're doing. And Jesus says, you need to be free from the pursuit of the flesh. How do we do that? We need to be content content now even in the church the teaching has been you should be the head not the tail you should be the best and not the least where does that put contentment right we're even on the fast track of who's blessed the better car in the parking lot obviously proves who's blessed in some churches that's the teaching what has happened to contentment What if we would live with less and be content? Well, I think we're all forced on that diet right now. But see, that's what fasting does in your life. Fasting causes you to reconsider. If you're fasting from food, it causes you to reconsider. Man, I think I'm eating too much every day. Right? See, contentment, learning to readjust the parameters of what's gripping us, what's binding us, when God says, I have set you free from these things. And so maintain your freedom. Don't pursue the things of the world and the lusts of the flesh, but learn to be content. Now turn with me to Philippians 4, where Paul gets to talk about contentment. He said, I know what it's like to be content. Philippians chapter 4. Paul's going to say in Philippians 4, we're going to go to verse 11 if you'll follow there with me. Verse 11, he first of all thanks the church for sending an offering. 
Praise God. Thank you for supporting me. This came at a good time. I needed this. And I thank God that you were obedient to Him to send that finance my way. That's what Paul said. Then he goes on and he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now what he's saying is the secret that he's found in being content is that what he's saying, I can do this being well fed. I can do that. I can be content with abundance in, well, in having food. And he said, I can maintain and be content with a complete lack of food. So what would that point to? If he could say... I can be content with tons of food, rich and glorious food, or I can be content without any food. Is the food the issue? That's what he's saying. He, can, he says, I can be content with being blessed, having nice stuff. Right? Some of the towns he stayed in, I'm sure he stayed in some houses that were really glorious. Uh, some of you have been on missions trips, and, and, and you go to a missions trip, you don't know where you're going to stay. And sometimes the missionary puts you in his house, or puts you in another house, or they all save up and put you in a nice place. It's like, woo, this is nice. Sometimes you're on a dirt floor. But Paul said, I know what it's like to be in a really nice house. I know what it's like to sleep out under the stars on dirt and have nothing. And in both places... I'm content. Why? Because I can do this in Jesus. I can handle this in Jesus. You see, he's taken his well-being, his comfort and his joy out of the hands of earthly comfort and has placed it squarely in his relationship with Jesus Christ. So the atmospheric condition of the weather is not going to affect my joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. The condition of the economy is not going to rob me of the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have found the secret to being content. He's my secret. That's the bottom line. He's my secret. I'm satisfied with Him. That is awesome. Why can we have such a satisfaction in Him and such a security? It goes on, he says this, because He told me He'd never leave me and He'd never forsake me. So when I'm rich and blessed, He's with me. So those, richings and those, those riches and blessing isn't the whole thing that I'm happy about. He's what I'm happy about. I can be in want and destitute, but He's the thing. And I know He'll be with me in any situation. There's the secret, Paul says. We need to take the book, uh, the, the Secret, 
and get rid of it. That's not the secret. I'll leave that alone. I was going to make an Oprah comment, but she's off the air. Hallelujah. So we're going to go on. The secret's Jesus. And he said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is covenant language, and today you were reminded of that with the bread and with the wine. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You will never be alone. You will never be in a position, you will never be in a place where I am absent. I will be with you in everything you're going through. Isn't it funny? Even when we pray, we don't necessarily think that way. When we pray because we're in the hospital because of an emergency medical situation, we pray, oh God, you need to help this person. You need to be there. You need to be. He was there in the middle of it. He was there when the thing started happening. He's in the middle of it while it's happening, and he's working with you through it. You see, what we have done is we've put our health and our physical condition also in the place of whether we're content in God or not. I would love for all of you to go on a field trip with me to Peter Brindley's house. I'm going to bring a video of him uh, in another week or so here. Peter Brindley's a member of this church that has MS, that basically he can no longer move anything from his neck down. Dear brother of this church, and I, I don't know anybody that's got as much joy as that guy, because he knows a secret, and that secret is, I've not lost my freedom. I know what it is to be free from the things of this world. Does it trouble him? Yes. Is it hard to get through a day? Yes. Does it play on him? Yes. Is it lonely? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. But I'm satisfied you talk to him. And he's satisfied in Jesus. He knows this is a temporary condition. He knows that he's got all of eternity to soar and fly with Jesus. See, there are people that we need to look to even though even our physical being may be in distress and may be troubled. But Jesus said, I'm right here with you. We're going to go through this together. We're going to walk through this troubled time together. I'm with you. In fact, you know, I was trying to figure out where did Jesus say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, we know in the Great Commission, he said, I'll be with you even unto the end of this age, even the end of the world. But when I began to do the study and look in the Old Testament, there are 22 verses where God tells His people, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 22. I could read all of them to you, but it would take so long. 22 verses where God has to continually remind you, I'm with you. I'm here for you. I am with you. It's the one thing that we get robbed of continually. We think He left. Even when we fail Him and sin, we think He left us. You don't want to be near me right now. You don't like me. I did it again, this terrible thing. I'm just a wreck. I'm sorry. Who do you think is the one that is saying, hello? This, we didn't need to revisit that place again, did we? The Holy Spirit's convicting us. He's speaking to us. He's instructing us. And as He disciplines us, He'll be with us through the discipline. You end up in jail, he'll be with you in jail. 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You see, we have, brothers and sisters, been brought into the bondage of this world, even as strong believers, thinking that whatever's the cause coming against me in the world is because God is lacking. That's not it. It's deeper than that. You're going to get the slings and the arrows of this world. You're going to get the ups and the downs. You're going to get the bumps and the bruises. And eventually, we will all die too. And he's there. He's there. Be content. Be content. That contentment is the secret. Jesus is with me. What will it do? So we can have confidence. So that you will confidently say, I'm going to stop there for a minute. You're going to say three things confidently, but first of all, we need to speak confidence. Positive confession is an important thing. I'm not going to go into the doctrine of positive confession. There are those who have taken it into the realm of witchcraft. You've got to be very careful with that. Positive confession is speaking that which is true, that which is of the Word of God, that which is beautiful, lovely, uh, Paul tells about it right in Philippians 4, a little further up in the verses. He says, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is praiseworthy, whatsoever is good, think on these things, speak these things. But some folks have taken positive confession, like I said, into witchcraft to where you ask them how they're feeling and they're sick and they'll say, well, I can't, can't confess that. I thought you were supposed to speak the truth. <laughs> you just threw up on my shoes. I think you're sick. <laughs> no, I don't claim it. I didn't want it either. <laughs> Let's be real. All right? That doesn't make you any less of a Christian because you, you're saying what the reality of your situation is. Jesus is in it. But there is strength in a positive confession. There is a confession that we are to speak. That I know Christ strengthens me. I can get through all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's a positive confession. I might be under duress. Paul says we're crushed, we're perplexed, but we're not defeated because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? You might find yourself in a situation that is not a good situation and the positive confession is, I can handle this because Jesus is here. I don't know how it's going to go and I might cry and I might be upset and it might hurt, but I'm going to get through this thing. Hallelujah. We need to speak with authority and a positive confession, we're going to make it through. How many of you know the world needs to hear a positive confession? They need to hear that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's king of this planet. He's in charge. He's in control. And he's in control of my life. How many of you remember when you had to give positive confession to your kids? Right? The thunder strikes and they're like, I'm scared, I'm scared. Honey, it's going to be all right. That's a positive confession, right? How many of you need a prophetic word from Jesus? A prophetic word from Jesus is to edify, exhort, and comfort. It's a positive confession. It's a declaration of what shall be according to the word of God. Now, how we get there might have some ups and downs, but I'm declaring what it's going to be. And he says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. So no matter what, I'm going to stay free. I am not going to get bound by the pursuit of money and the pursuit of worldly things and the pursuit of that because the Lord's my helper. I have contentment with my situation right now. I'm going to maintain through it because He's never going to leave me or forsake me. So I can declare with boldness, God's my helper. Wow. 
Next, you can declare the second one, I will not fear. Fear is a crippling agent. Fear is based on a lack of knowledge and wisdom. We fear what we do not know. We fear because something's coming our way that we don't know how it's going to turn out. But I can speak to fear and I can confess. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. The Lord is my helper. I'm content with this situation. I'm going to get through it. I'm not afraid of you because God is my God. Amen? And so, easy to say, but in many different situations in people's lives, it's kind of hard. Because there's woundedness to deal with concerning fear. Especially when you're going through something that it feels familiar like something happened before that you've had happen to you and it was not a pleasant situation. But you've got to combat fear with faith. Trusting God. He's in it. He's in me. And we're going to get through this thing. Last of all, what can man do to me? I can tell you what he can do to you. He can hurt you. <laughs> right? He can hurt me. He can steal from me. He can shame me. He can beat me up. He can kill me. Right? But see, when Christianity puts your mortal life as the most important thing, you're missing your freedom. You're missing your freedom. You are missing your fearlessness. How do you overcome the devil? Blood of the Lamb, word of your testimony, and we always stop there. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Hallelujah. Well, you're not going to overcome him if those are the only two elements you have. Look it up, Revelation chapter 12. And they did not count their lives dear to them. There's the three-point component. You see, because we get trapped in counting our lives dear to us. We'll go right back up to the beginning. Keep your life free from the des desires of the world. Well, I wanting to live is a nice desire. Oh, but I've got so much more for you, says the Lord. Imagine how fearless the church would be if we'd stop pursuing our, our carnal needs and we pursued God fearlessly. Right? That's your freedom. That's a freedom that the world has never known. The world can't know that freedom because they're afraid to die. Because they don't know where they're going. You know where you're going. You know where you'll be for eternity. There is a freedom in that that I'm not afraid of any man. I'm not afraid of what they say because God's with me. I'm going to make it through eternal life. God is my helper. I can confidently say I will not fear because He said I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, I am content with whatever situation I am in so I don't have to pursue the worldly pursuits to make me feel good. And we close with Romans chapter 8. Turn with me there. Verse 35. Band, you can come. Romans 8.35 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. This man's personally familiar with all of those things. He experienced them himself. And what he's saying, he was never separated from God. Never separated from Christ. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. He didn't count his life precious. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, or any powers, height or depth, or anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, who is in us. Amen? And so, brothers and sisters, how do you maintain your freedom? You first of all recognize that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The spirit of liberty dwells in you. You are free from any man. You are free from life and death. You are free from the need and the wants. You are free from famine or fame. You are free from the conditions of our economy. You are free from the culture of our day. You are free from the country you live in. You are free from all these things because Christ is in you and you are content with Him in you and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads.